0: good to be here again. Normally, I'm here every Father's Day, but this year, Jared let me spend Father's Day with my own family. And what's even more ironic is that my family is here with me all weekend. Um, Pop up a picture of my family. I'll introduce them. Right there. Uh, That is my wife, Di. And what's really fun about the last three months is that my wife just graduated with her master's degree. My daughter is not in this picture, but my daughter is uh, flying in tonight from a missions trip that she's on in Mexico. And my daughter also just graduated with her master's degree. <laughs> and on the outsider, my twin boys, um, that's Elijah on the left and Judah on the right. And they both just graduated from high school. So I am the only lame person in my family not graduating from something. But since everybody is graduating, we decided to have a kind of graduation vacation to kind of bless all of our family. Um, and since I was speaking here this weekend, we thought we would do the LA Disneyland thing. So we're here really being tourists. It's, it's really fun. Uh, Friday night, that picture was from the Anaheim Angels game. Now, we went to the game because we're huge Mariner fans, and they were playing the Mariners, so we decked ourselves out in Mariner gear, and we did not know what we were showing up at (laughs) because, as many of you are aware, that Friday night was the night that the angels were honoring the memory of Tyler Skaggs, who was... Uh, Pitcher for their team who had died tragically right before the All-Star game. And everywhere we went around the stadium were memorials set up for Tyler Skaggs. In fact, the entire team and most of the fans were wearing Tyler Skaggs jerseys. And we were decked out in Mariner gear. (laughs) I mean, we stuck out like a sore thumb. It was the most awkward I have felt since being a christian in seattle (laughs) i live in an area where only six percent of people go to church so we are a minority with our faith in our community um so like this community here there's way more people that aren't at church on sunday than are actually at church and as we have studied the trends with the Seattle area over the years, one of the reasons why so few people go to church is because Christians historically have done such a bad job of representing Jesus in that community. They've just done a really good job of making Jesus look bad. And I'm sure you know what I mean. By doing things that are embarrassing and end up on the front page of the newspaper, do you ever pause and realize that you represent more than just yourself and your family. That you in this community, you represent Jesus. And so what I want to talk to you about today is, how do you and I make Jesus look good in regions where God has strategically placed us, where way more people don't go to church or share our faith than actually do? So how do we represent Jesus well? How do we make Jesus look good? Man, I will tell you that the Angels made Tyler Skaggs look really good in that game. They did an amazing job of honoring his memory. The very first pitch that Mike Trout got from the Mariners, first pitch he got while wearing Tyler Skaggs' jersey, he hit it into Oregon. The only benefit of that entire game, though it was a moving experience to be there, see 45 seconds of silence and all the honoring of Tyler Skaggs, the benefit for us Seattle Mariner fans is that the Angels scored seven runs, so we got free Chick-fil-A. So I get like double free Chick-fil-A. I'm a guest here, and I got the angels, so lots of Chick-fil-A the rest of this. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I want to talk to you about how you represent Jesus well. Um, As you're turning there, typically whenever you're a guest speaker at a church, pastors have like 20 sermons they pull out of the file that are their best sermons. But you guys have heard everything good that I've ever done, so you're getting something new. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17, this is smack dab in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most prominent sermon. Uh, he is teaching to a primarily Jewish people, and over and over again, he uses this phrase. He says, you've heard it said. And every time he says, you've heard it said, he's referring to the Levitical law or the law of Moses that his Jewish audience knew inside out, backwards and forwards. In fact, they believed that the more they adhered to the Jewish law, the more pious and spiritual they were. So they took great pride in following the Levitical law. But Jesus over and over again says, you've heard it said, he refers to the Levitical law and then he turns it around and changes it on them. And here is one of his most famous, you've heard it said, and it really is kind of set up by verse 17. Is everybody with me? Okay, good. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law Or the prophets. By the way, this is one of the most misunderstood verses by Christians today. In fact, I think it's the most misquoted verse by Christians. Christians love to say things like, oh, we don't pay attention to the Old Testament. All that Old Testament law. All that Old Testament teaching. Jesus came. He abolished it all. It's all gone. Yada. And they didn't know what what they meant when they said that. Jesus actually explains it a little bit. When he goes on and he says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What you will see over and over again is that Jesus takes the Old Testament expectation and he actually builds on it and to some degree makes it even more difficult. And if you jump ahead to verse 38, I'm going to read some scripture, then we'll pray together. Jesus shares with you and I how we can make him look good. How we should not only represent ourselves, but how we represent him well in our communities. And what is amazing about this text is that Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. And it is totally applicable today. And in addition to that, there are phrases that Jesus uses that you and I, by accident, use all the time that we've heard teachers or professors use, and you might never have known where they originated from, but they originated from his teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount. It's totally relevant 2,000 years later. And here it is. So Jesus is explaining what he means by fulfilling the law. When he says, you've heard that it was said, I warned you that was coming. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you in his right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you or take your tunic, let him also have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I want to ask everyone if you would do me a favor, bow your heads close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me. Everyone say, Dear Jesus, Jesus. speak to my heart, heart. change my life. In Jesus' name, name. Amen. amen. At my church, I'm in the middle of a series called Jesus Said What? And what we're looking at is things that Jesus said that maybe we were not aware that he said or things that he said that we had not evaluated the implication to our lives. And I would say, we know that he said these things, but I bet you've never really thought what it means for you and I today. And since Jesus said this, it wasn't a suggestion. And it's something that we need to reconcile. And I will tell you, these four verses are really frustrating, if you think about it. Because they are totally countercultural. you see we live in a day and age where everything is supposed to be fair everything is supposed to be just if someone does something wrong they should pay for their crime it should be just and right we live in this ultimate society where everything needs to be equal which is the reason why we don't have like most valuable players or most improved players on sports teams anymore Instead, everybody gets a trophy for participating. So the day and age that we live in. And this text is totally the opposite of what society would say because everything is supposed to be fair. In fact, things are supposed to be made right that if anyone you know gets offended or gets wronged, what is your first natural response? Anger. This needs to be made right. Right? If you were driving down the street, I live in Seattle, and the worst drivers in America have all moved to western Washington. And so, if you literally want to see the worst drivers anywhere, they're there. Um, So, it would be normal, you're driving in Seattle, someone would accidentally cut you off. And whenever anybody cuts you off when you're driving, especially when traffic is as terrible as it is on the west coast, you're not happy. Someone cuts you off. I mean, you say things that you wouldn't normally say at any other point. You use sign language you wouldn't normally use at any other point. But most of us, we're like, I'm going to get this person back. We start thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up early the next day so that I can cut him off on this exact same road. Because everything has to be fair. Everything has to be just. Everything has to be made right. And when Jesus starts this off by saying... You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We hear that and we're like, that's right. That's the way life should work. Everything should be made right. Tomorrow I have permission to cut him off. (laughs) Did you know that this is actually the oldest that they know of set of legal system? It's called lax. Talionis. It was originated in the 18th century, 18 BC, by the king of the Babylonians, Hammurabi. Hammurabi had what is referred to as the code of Hammurabi that he inscribed on pillars. And this laid out what lax talionis is. Lax talionis is the law of retaliation. It is the law of revenge. It represented the earliest attempt to ensure justice and limit revenge. How do we know about all of this? Because in 1901, archaeologists actually excavated these pillars and discovered these pillars with the coat of Hammurabi on them. You can actually see them today in the Louvre in Paris. But we see this idea of retaliation all throughout history. In fact, it was incredibly influential in the Jewish culture. If you go back all the way to the book of Leviticus or the book of Exodus, and I don't know how much you study Leviticus, it's super handy. Because if you ever wonder, what do I do if my neighbor's ox gores mine? It tells you how you should respond to that. But uh, in Exodus chapter 21, we see lex talionis played out. This law of revenge, this law of retaliation. Here, Here it is. It says, when a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it. Let me modernize it. You dig a hole, and you don't fill the hole. And an ox or a donkey falls into it. Your dog falls into your neighbor's hole says this, The owner of the pit shall make restoration and he shall give money to the owner and the dead beast shall be his. Lax Talionis. Basically, Exodus and Leviticus over and over again is different scenarios where Lax Talionis is played out. And one of the reasons that Lax Talionis exists is it is meant to limit revenge. Because people... Are extreme. If someone makes you mad and responds, you know, wrongs you, you immediately want to do even more to them. If you hear of something that happens, you want to take it to the extreme. Now I've seen this my whole ministry. I was a youth pastor for years. In fact, I was Sean Lochi, who was leading worship's youth pastor. I was his wife, Whitney's youth pastor. I knew Sean before he could grow facial hair. Okay? So we would do these long ministry tours as youth pastors for like a week to two weeks. We'd travel all over the country. And there are two things that always happens on trips with teenagers. Number one, they pull pranks on each other. So we would be on these trips, and the boys would think it would be really funny to pull a prank on the girls. So they'd sneak into the girls' room, steal all the girls' clothes, and hide all their clothes. Well, the second thing that always happens on a trip is that one of the boys always confesses to the girls that they did it. So the girls would find out the boys stole their clothes, hid our clothes, and so the girls retaliate. They sneak into the boys' room, take all the boys' clothes, and burn all the boys' clothes. I- I'm telling you, as a youth pastor for years, do not pull pranks on girls. They go to extreme! Retaliation. They do not adhere to lax talionis. I I am a huge reality TV show buff. Basically, Hollywood creates reality reality TV shows for people like me because I watch them all. Proving my point. I was a huge fan of flavor of love. Like, possibly the worst TV show in the history of bad TV shows. For some strange reason, it actually had three seasons. But um, I'm going to pop up the picture of my hero, Flavor Flav. There he is. (laughs) My wife says I don't have style, but compared to this dude, I am fly, I'm telling you. The entire premise of this reality show was that women competed for the right to date Flavor Flav. (laughs) It's really funny. So every episode of the TV show, had a scene that took place like this. Two of these women would be having a conversation with each other and they would be confessing to each other. One of them would say something like, "Man, I'm really sorry, but I I like lied about you to flave." And so then the other girl would say, "Wait a second. You said a lie about me to flavor flave?" And she'd say, yeah, I'm really sorry, I did it. And then the other girl would be like, I'll kill you! The opposite of lax talionis. You see, lax talionis was meant to regulate and civilize the process with which people seek justice. And now this law... That people had been he- adhering to for generations, this thing that brought fairness to every single situation, Jesus is correcting it. And here's what he says. He says, "You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil." The NIV says, "Do not resist an evil person. So remember, Jesus' audience, Jewish. The Jewish people for generations had been holding out hope that someday the Messiah would come. They were currently under Roman rule, Roman occupation. They referred to the Roman Empire as the evil empire. And they believed that when the Messiah came, he would come as a conquering king. That he would not only be a political leader, but he would be like a general that would lead them in a war victoriously over the evil Roman Empire. And now here is Jesus saying, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And everybody's like, yeah, lax talionis. And then he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. It was specifically his Jewish audience that thought of the Roman Empire as evil. And he says, but instead, here's how I want you to represent me. Here's what I want you to be known as. So in this community, higher vision, you should be known, number one, as people who turn the other cheek. Jesus goes on and he says, if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other Also, it is not an accident that he said right cheek. You see, to to hit someone in the right cheek, you have to slap them with your left hand. And in the first century, they had a saying that went like this. You eat with your right, you wipe with your left. So if you slap someone in the right cheek, you hit them with the hand you wipe your butt with. Okay, and if by chance you didn't use that hand, you hit him with the backhand, which is totally insulting and degrading. Seriously, any of you ever been slapped in the face? I have one time in my life by my high school English teacher. Now, don't feel bad for me. I had it coming. I had egged his house the night before. But he took me in front of the class and he slapped me across the face. If you get slapped, what is your initial reaction Your body has a surge of adrenaline. He slapped you and you think, I'll kill you! I mean, you think, I'm going to break this guy's nose. Jesus said, I want you to fight against all of your natural instincts. And instead he calls us to maintain honor by not extracting revenge. Instead of hit the person in their cheek, as Lax Talionis would suggest, Jesus says, be known as someone Who turns the other cheek. You see, church, the challenge is to demonstrate Christian values over the need for justice. Jesus is in essence saying, don't seek the example of the striker, seek my example instead. What do you want to be known as in this community? Do you want to be known as people that turn the other cheek? Man, I will tell you something, it is easier said than done. It's also easier said than done to be known as someone who gives the shirt off their back. But that's also what Jesus wants us to be known as. He goes on and he says this. He said, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. A uh, good Jewish person in the first century, a man, would have a cloak and then over the top of his cloak would be his tunic. Now we know that it's reasonable that if someone is clo- cold, you let them wear your coat. So giving your tunic would be normal. But Jesus said, don't just give someone your tunic, but give them your cloak as well. Did you notice what I didn't say that Jewish men wear? Underwear. So if you give your tunic and your cloak, you're naked. So Jesus is not advocating that all of you hire vision people To honor him and represent him well, run around Valencia or Castaic buck naked. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is using exaggeration. Whoa. I'm so excited to preach this at my church next Sunday. Because my church always says I exaggerate. And I'm going to say, even Jesus exaggerated. (laughs) Every great preacher uses exaggeration as a literary technique. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was making a point that we need to diffuse conflict by yielding even more than is required. He said, not only should you turn the other cheek, but you should be willing to give the shirt off your back. That's what you want to be known as. You want to be known in this community. If this community needs something, go to someone at higher vision. They'll give you the shirt off their back church, that one's easier said than done. You know what else is easier said than done? Going the extra mile. Jesus also said you should be known for that too. He goes on and he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Here's what's interesting about that. A Roman mile was 1,000 paces. So one pace is the equivalent of five steps. So most of us, we have an app on our smartphone that keeps track of how many steps that we take in any given day. My wife and I just spent a few days in Venice, and one of our days, we actually walked over 30,000 steps. So if you think of it this way, if you walk, says your app, 10,000 steps in a day, that is the equivalent of two Roman miles. I do math well, by the way. Uh, so a Roman mile, 1,000 paces. One pace is five steps. Jesus says, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go with them two instead. What was he referring to? He was referring to a Roman law. A Roman soldier was allowed at any moment to order any citizen to go carry the burden of someone else for up to a mile. It didn't matter what you were doing, it didn't matter how you were dressed, where you were going, if a Roman soldier said to you, you, stop what you're doing, I don't care you're wearing a suit, I don't care that you're on your way to the most important business meeting of your entire career, I want you to go carry that 50 pound bag of cement for that person You didn't have an option. You had to do it. You know, we have a great example of when that happened. Obviously, when Jesus was carrying his cross and he began to fall, a Roman soldier looked at Simon of Cyrene and he said, you carry his cross. He was actually required by law to do that for one mile. But you could imagine that would be inconvenient, you could also imagine, and it'd probably be pretty frustrating, and the average citizen began to resent that law. And Jesus says this He says, rather than you continue to resent going a mile, He said, I want to challenge you to not resent it, but go even further. Let your life be inconvenienced by other people, go the extra mile. Church, it's easier said than done. What, is your, what does your church want to be known as in this community? Man, you want to be known that if this community or someone needs you, man, this place, man, they, they give the shirt off their back. Man, they, they don't just do what's expected or what's hoped of them by giving some backpacks. They give a lot of them. They always go the extra mile. That's what you want to be known as. But you also finally want to be known as people that give to anyone who asks. Jesus finally goes on and he says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So not only does he say, you should be known as someone who turns the other cheek, gives the shirt off your back, goes the extra mile, but be known as someone who gives to anyone who asks. Church, I have an issue with that one. That one I personally struggle with. Because we all have people in our life that the only time they ever talk to us is when they want something from us. There's a reason a bunch of you no longer own trucks. (laughs) Because you know if you own a truck... You're going to hear from someone, you're like, I don't think I've talked to this person in 15 years. They're like, hey, dude, I heard you had a truck. Can I borrow it? Everybody wants to borrow your truck. Um, My biggest pet peeve in life is when people call or text me wanting someone's phone number. Because they have equally the same ability to get a phone number off of Facebook that I do. I have this uh, one guy in my church. When I was a youth pastor, I had students that would be referred to as EGR students. They're students that take extra grace, like extra grace required. So this guy is one of those extra grace required on steroids dudes. So here's what he does. I won't hear from him for months. And he starts by texting me, pastor question mark. If I don't respond within five minutes, he does it again. I will eventually get my phone after an hour, because I have a job, and I will look at my phone, and Nimmer will have texted me 20 times, and I'll be like, what? his name's Nimmer, um, and I'll go, what's going on, and I'll look at it, and it'll say, pastor question mark, 20 times, and I will respond back, Nimmer question mark, and he'll say, hey, I need so-and-so's phone number. Would I want to text back, no. uh, So like a good pastor, I go on Facebook, find the person's number and then text it back to him. But it frustrates me. And so there was a year where I was setting out my goals for the year and I felt like the Lord was dealing with this area of my life. And so I set a goal that for the entire year, whatever anybody asked from me, I would say yes. I made the mistake of sharing this in front of my church. <laughs> so I like spent the entire year. I help people move all year long. I like uh, went to every single wedding, every single shower. People were standing in the lobby asking me for money every single Sunday. Um, but I did this because I wanted to be known as someone who would give to anyone who asks. I wanted to live a life that was generous, but I'll tell you, church, it's easier said than done. But what do you want to be known as? really was a privilege to be at that Angels game, even though they destroyed the Mariners. Because I feel like those guys did such an amazing job representing the memory of Tyler Skaggs. Is there a better way to represent the memory of one of your pitchers than to throw a combined no-hitter. Now, I know it was against the Mariners, so they are playing a minor league team, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) And so while I was there, you know, wearing my Mariners gear, I just thought the Angels did a really amazing job representing the memory of Tyler Skaggs. How good of a job do you and I do representing the memory of Jesus? I want to show you one last picture. That's Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson's the goat. We love him. But those are the ugliest uniforms in the history of the world. You can Google worst professional sports uniforms in history, and this is always in the top three. But half of my church has these uniforms. And they're insulted if you tell them they're ugly. Why? Because that's their team. They're fans and they want to represent their team. And I always come back to, how well do we represent Jesus? Well, he was really honest and he said, you want to represent me well in a community that specifically doesn't share your faith? There's all of these uh, questionnaires that have been done for people uh, in the Seattle area. They're trying to figure out, do we even have a need for religion anymore? And the number one response is this. If we have to have religion, there has to be churches. The people should at least do good. That that's what we should be known for, is people that do good. We want to be known in our communities as people that turn the other cheek, Give the shirt off our back, go the extra mile, and give to anyone who asks. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.